Hello there. Welcome to another episode of the Thrifty Marketer Podcast. Today we will be discussing digital strategies for tough times with Christina Garnett, digital strategist extraordinaire. Christina's journey from a teacher to a marketing director to a digital strategist is filled with lessons we all can learn from. Today Christina will share tips on how SMBs can design digital strategies to achieve their business goals. Let's hear it from Christina. Right. So, uh, the the whole purpose, as I mentioned, it's about bringing on people who can share their fantastic story and uh, you know get to know about them. It's all about community, folks. Right. As a marketing uh, person or a marketing executive, uh, I have been. Uh, kind enough, you know. I've I've been blessed enough to have lot of good friends, uh, which uh, who 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 has connected with me over social media channels, and they uh, sh- they care for me. I don't know whether uh, who is watching. You're connected with me on Facebook. I just got a set of gift from one of such of the such of those uh, one of those people from US H two H community. I'm part of that and. Uh, they sent me this cap and a lot of goodies from the us so that's the power of community i'm talking about it's a bunch of friends whom you may meet or may never meet but wonderful people so she's here my guest is here i'm so happy i was a little bit tense but it's all good because i love uh, this person so much uh, so today i have one of the awesomest individuals you will ever meet on twitter and all the other social media channels as well but she is a she was a teacher she's a from a former teacher to becoming a marketing director she is she's currently working with major fortune 500 brands to strengthen their digital strategy her name is christina garnet she is a specialist and expert in inbound marketing and audience intelligence that that's the heart of her work she focuses on her all her efforts to encourage a deep dive to understand personas competitors and more currently she is working with visit where she works to create strategy playbooks and visual intelligence reports in the pursuit of content that resonates with target audience so if you want to talk about buyer personas inbound marketing strategy your competition audience she is the go to person for that she has a deep love for audience research and social listening we will be asking a lot of questions on all those topics today uh, she believes in truly understanding the audience and listening to them she is being featured in lot of places recently she wrote a fantastic post on adweek.com about the latest movie or feature film prepared by kfc she is featured in hubspot academy's social media certification course as well as several courses on social listening she is a speaker at major events like inbound 19 adapted digital media summit uh, as well as local events for the virginia sbdc she is she can also you can also find a feature in various books by social insider hubspot talkwalker and various articles on nextweb adweek meltwater and etc etc the list is long so without further ado let me bring her on hi thank you so much for having me hey krishna thank you so much uh, i was thinking that did i mess up time again because you it did was- it. Oh, i got pulled into an emergency meeting i'm so so sorry No worries about it. I'm happy that you are here, and fa- fantastic to see you in person, virtually. <laughs> All right. So, because uh, I was just saying that, you know, this show I started in March uh, when the COVID started uh, kicking off, and only purpose was to bring on people like you <laughs> and listen about the inspiring work you do, the kind of journey you have had, and you know, some lessons which you, which people who are listeners or viewers. they can take home and try to implement in their life mm-hmm. so it's a set of questions i have curated for you and mm-hmm. today's topic as you know uh, it's digital strategy so everything about digital strategy yeah. so i have a set of uh, 10 to 12 questions for you so if you're ready yeah. we can start off let's go all right so my first question which i wanted to ask you a couple of times on twitter also that mm-hmm. from teacher to marketing director to digital strategy that's 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 a that's a you know different kind of journey mm-hmm. so can you can you just take us through the same how did it all that happen yeah i was an english major in north carolina with davidson college i was looking for work i i knew i wanted to teach 
and was offered a math position um, in an emergency as an emergency licensed teacher. I had taken everything through calculus in college and high school, really liked math, but just it, it never felt like a passion for me. But because of that, I was able to really enjoy it. It I, I was able to empathize with my students and I didn't have to be their favorite teacher. It didn't have to be their favorite class just to empower right. them to feel confident in themselves. Because it wasn't my number one, it became easier for me to really focus on their their needs instead of thinking like, well, I love this. How don't you love this? Which I find that that tends to be that attitude that you have with teachers when it's not your favorite, but it's theirs. Right. Uh, during that time period, um, I had met my husband, got married, got pregnant, um, moved to Virginia to be closer to my in-laws so that my grand their grandchildren could be with their grandparents and right. was a stay-at-home mom for a few years and then had to really figure out if I wanted to go back into teaching or if I wanted to find something else. When I just started dating my husband about two weeks in, he had said that I should go into marketing because I would fix commercials, I'd fix ads. I would just naturally say, like, I don't like that word choice. That should be different. That tone doesn't work right. That CTA is not strong enough. Like, I would just, like, immediately start fixing it. And he didn't understand. He's like, well, why don't you do that and just get paid for that? Um, right. and, it, and it never really occurred to me. It's just what I naturally did. Um, so when I started thinking about going back into the, um, when I started going back into the workforce, I actually found HubSpot Academy and just started diving in. I'm curious by default, I'm always taking classes. I'm taking my EMBA now through Quantic. And even after that, I'm sure I'm gonna take Coursera classes and certifications <laughs> and like, I, it's never gonna end. Like I wish, I wish and in some ways I don't. But um, when I took basically every HubSpot Academy course I could find, um, I did Coursera, uh, University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign has a digital marketing certification uh, specialization. I took all of those. And that kind of became that more like pedagogical, um, like foundation for me from a marketing perspective. So right. I, I worked for an art museum. No one wanted to really kind of dive into their social. And so I had a, a colleague really wanted to do Instagram. I was like, fine, I'll do Twitter and Facebook. Sounds good. And then I went in straight into this, the user culture and started really like, and, and you know how important this is. You can have classes, but it's not the same as actually being live in that trench and seeing oh, what's much. happening and seeing the conversations that are happening naturally. So I really started observing what were people liking, not liking, what were people talking about? If, if certain, if certain local accounts were doing well, deconstructing that, what was working, what was not working and how can we incorporate that to kind of lean in to that positive sentiment? Uh, did that wound up working with SCORE, which is a nonprofit organization that offers um, consulting for small business owners, and then wound up being a marketing director for the um, Small Business Development Center in Roanoke, where I did all of the in-house marketing, but also was a marketing consultant for any small business owners or wannabe small business owners that wound up having um, questions about marketing, anything from like ideation to exit strategy, we really help. So I, I love that you have a small business um, show because small business is obviously very important to me. Um, I still have a side business where I work with um, nonprofits, universities, small businesses, and then my main work is with Fortune 500 companies, um, assisting them with digital strategy. So that's it's it sounds like a ricocheting bullet, but <laughs> it it makes sense because I have that English creative writing side, but I also have that analytical math side. Got it, got it. Because uh, you know, I, I I think we all should thank your husband for asking you to move into marketing. Yes. Because all, all your all your all your articles, all your uh, you know subject matter expertise. Whenever you write something, we can see that there is a lot of curiosity in it, a lot of research going behind it. So that's fantastic. Thank God you're not a teacher anymore. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, maybe right. maybe I'll go back into it again. <laughs> yeah, but Oxford Academy is good enough for you, I guess, for now. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> right. right. So you know, uh, I'm I'm very passionate about small and medium businesses. Uh, I keep uh, advising some of them. I give uh, uh, people call me like whenever we want free advice, we will call Vivek. You know, so they they will call me for social, for content, etc., etc. So I wanted to uh, you know just get a quick opinion on with the second question of mine. You work with a lot of fortune finded companies building their digital strategies. So are there any lessons small and medium small and medium businesses can adopt from them and their ways of digital marketing efforts? Is there any uh, lessons they can imbibe from them? Yes. 
Um, one of the things that a lot of larger businesses and Fortune 500 companies do that I find a lot of small businesses don't is that they go back and look at the data. They go back and they, they're creating monthly reports for their C-suite, for higher ups, for their stakeholders to explain what's happening with social. And I find that in, in a way that's good, in a way that's bad. In a way, it's good because it's it's making sure that you're not just posting stuff and letting it kind of live in the wild and you're not checking on it. A lot right. of the businesses I find that do the worst job on social, they publish and then they're done for the day. Okay, that, w- that went out. We're done. We're done. We did that. We were supposed to post it Thursday at 2 and we're done. Instead of going back to see, well, did that perform well? Did it not perform well? Did it get engagement? If so, what kind? Were there comments? If so, what kind? Was it positive? Was it negative? Was it neutral? Were there any learnings? So really going back and and looking backwards at what you've published to see what's working and not and looking at those numbers and really looking at it from a higher level. So you when even if it's just monthly, taking a moment to look at all of the content that you've posted in a month to see, all right, are there patterns? What can I learn from this? What performed better? What performed what didn't perform? And I think that's that's why we also see a lot of issues with virality. Everyone wants to be viral. Everyone wants this to like blow up. And because that can't be ignored, like, you know, what went viral, whether I send you a report or a deck on it or not, you know, that it went viral. You may not know exactly how many impressions or how many engagements you got on it, but you know that it it blew up versus going in and actually looking at the reports itself and looking at the data and seeing, and, and, and I understand that small business owners, I, I speak from experience. I understand that there's so much happening with small business owners and that they're doing the best they can to even create social content at all, especially if they're doing it on their own. I know that it's a definite struggle. Um, And that's why I would really think about like prioritizing time. I'm a big believer in to-do list. If it's not on my to-do list, it doesn't get done because that's that there's just too much going on. So I need that to ground me to know what's going to work, what's not going to work. What what do I need to get done next? What's what's working? Um, and also being able to pick off like what can I do in like small pieces? So going in there and maybe it's like a Friday afternoon when everything is finished or maybe it's a Sunday night when you're prepping. But going in there and just looking and seeing and just and, and what I like to do is just open a Google Doc. And just put in all your findings. Anytime I need to do any work on like, what are the patterns? What are the insights I'm seeing? I do word vomit. I just immediately open a doc and just start throwing everything I see. It doesn't need to be a complete sentence. It doesn't need to be um, like really well thought out and formatted. Just like baseline. What am I seeing? What am I, what are the major takeaways? And then I can clean it up and then start figuring out, okay, well, if this performed well, why? Or this didn't perform well, why? And the thing is that too, I think that another thing that small business owners need to understand, and I hope that they see it when they see larger brands um, post as well, is that it doesn't matter how good your social team is and it doesn't matter how big your brand is or how much money you're putting behind it. Not all content's going to do well. Right. I've, I've seen a lot of people actually want to get rid of freelancers because they're like, it's just not, it's just not doing good enough. And I'm like, and then I look and I'm like, actually they're, they're growing your numbers. The engagement's good. It's not, you don't have thousands of people at your page, but it takes time. Like social's a grind. Social is a long game. And and I posted this on Twitter and LinkedIn yesterday, but you can, you can set short-term goals. I'm a firm believer that you should have like KPIs that you can look at and say like, all right, where do we stand? Like get a pulse of what's happening. But social's long game. And that's why I think that we, I think that the people who don't understand social, but have been told repeatedly, like you need it. That's why they don't see the ROI because they're looking at it from a short-term perspective instead of a long-term perspective. And that's also why they're just looking like, well, what's the follower count? Are you growing the follower count? It's like, it's so much more than that. Because if those people are relationships, I can buy followers. I'll do it now. I'll do it now. Like if that's what you want, what that's doing though, that that's doing it a service. That's doing it a service to brands. That's doing it a service to social people and social. So I would, I would really also talk about to, to, if you're running a small business, I would look and see what can you buy online. And then those are the numbers you don't care about. 
if if you if you have someone's like I have a bot and I will grow your following on Instagram and we'll do like all these automated messages and everything else. What you're doing is you are celebrating a shortcut. Right, absolutely. And absolutely. you're and you're telling, you're signaling everyone that truly cares about social and truly works in social that you want to game the system. Like I don't think the good work is worth it. I'm just going to game it. And that's a really big issue and I and I Social's taken some steps to like, like minimize that. Like they've gotten rid of bots and things like that. But there's still a lot more work to do. That's why I really want um, Facebook to make the swipe up option available for all small businesses on Instagram as well as nonprofits. You can get it if you have 10,000 followers or you have um, or you're verified. But as you know, this getting verified on Instagram is impossible. If you're right. not as like I've had clients that were like mid tier celebrities with podcasts and things like that. And because people weren't um, basically like copycatting them and, and trying to trying to act like they were them, like they they're like you're not popular enough for people to act to impersonate you. Therefore, you're not verified. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> and and if you're a small and if you're a small business or a nonprofit and you realize like we're never going to get verified, okay, what's the other barrier? Okay, ten thousand followers. How do I get to ten thousand followers? And you know this. Instagram and Facebook organic is low. I'm not going to say they killed organic. It's a really popular phrase. I, I honestly could, but um, they've made it difficult. They've made what they've done yeah. is they have an ads platform and it financially benefits them to make sure that organic is harder to reach period. I think that's a true statement. Right. So, so now you're growing your audience on Instagram and Facebook and you can't reach those numbers without pay. And then as more people pay and get into the advertising space, there's more traffic, which means prices go up, which means what you were paying for, like the quality isn't as good as it used to be for the same amount of money. So small businesses are starting to really kind of question whether or not they even want to be on Facebook. On Instagram, they're still seeing reach there. So they're like, fine, I will just buy the followers I need to get that swipe up. And that is wrong. Like that shows that that barrier is doing more harm than good because you're making them be bad agents in order to get features that they should have. If you were the small business advocate that you claim that you are, it's a problem. It's a major problem. Right. Right. Yeah. I've seen that because I was a freelancer for around 14 months in India. So people, uh, startup brands will come to me and they will say that I don't care about content. I want followers and yep. they, they want, they want it quicker. So I was like, I can't do it. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's not possible at all, you know, and the other, other issue, which I've seen is small and medium businesses. They look at successful brands who have a major social media team sitting and doing stuff and say that they we want to be like that on day one, which, which is impossible. It's absolutely, absolutely. possible. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're, so, you're comparing yourself to million dollar in-house teams. Exactly. Exactly. Like, so that, you're, yeah, you're, you're also comparing yourselves to brands that have Facebook reps. And have like have their own personal like almost like social concierge like so Absolutely. if they have if they have a problem now granted the support's not always great even then but they at least have someone on the inside that they can talk to if they have questions small business owners don't have that luxury which also bothers me especially when they with this whole like going to war with Apple thing over the privacy update it's right. that's that's not what it's about like if you really were a small business advocate i have a laundry list of things that your product team needs to do tomorrow if, if that's right. the if, if that's the play you're going to make here's what you need to do like and then we'll see is your if you can put your money where your mouth is absolutely so that's that's real strategic tactical advice for all SMB owners i'm hoping people will watch this and listen to this all right so uh coming to smbs again you know mm -hmm. i want to know that how uh, when they talk about digital strategy, some of the people will take a step back. They don't want to discuss that. But uh, how can SMBs build a solid digital strategy for better results? What I would do is I would define your audience and then I would also define who you are. A lot of people just start posting random things on social. You need to do the first thing is identify who you want to talk to, who you want to hit and where they live online. You being comfortable on Twitter is not what's important. You need to go where your audience is. I would rather you be really stellar and knock it out of the park on two social platforms than have all of them, but they're mediocre. It's not about quantity. It's always about quality. Find out, find out where your audience is online. Determine and, and be, be open to lurking. 
what kind of content is doing well on those platforms? Is there a quote unquote secret sauce? Like I always joke that on LinkedIn, I know this is live on LinkedIn, so it'll be funny, but there's that bro tree where you do like a line break and it's, it's a fortune cookie. Fortune cookie content does really well for better or for worse. There's some days I'm like, I needed to see that. And there's other days where I just, I roll myself into a headache, um, but it does well. So right. you have, you're able to go in there and look at those platforms and look at the user culture. A lot of people, in my opinion, don't talk about user culture enough because you can have the same features, but it's how those things work. For example, stories. Every platform is putting stories everywhere, but the user culture is different on every single one of those platforms. So what you're doing is you're asking someone, hey, you're here, but I need you to act the way you act somewhere else. So, so, so when Twitter and LinkedIn are doing it or adding it, they're basically saying, I need you to act like you do on Snapchat and Instagram. I don't want people on Twitter acting like they do on Instagram and Snapchat, like quote me, so, so. <laughs> <laughs> like, like keep that user culture there. I don't want it where I live. Like I don't want it on Twitter. So, right. and that's why it's confusing. And that's also why you see them reposting the same things. So like for reels, reels, complete copycat of TikTok. And so what they're doing is they're saying, I need you to act like you act like on TikTok, but I want you to do it under Instagram. And what happens, those users use that user culture. Like, cool, I'll just upload my TikTok. Brand and stamp and all. And so that's the thing is, there's not this understanding of user culture. So you don't understand what you're really asking. You're just basically saying, here's this feature. And what's problematic with that is that you you're proving also though that you're looking at trends and not your users you're not breaking down and thinking about what do our users really need versus what do we think they like other places me like just because i like to go horseback riding when i'm in north carolina doesn't mean i'm going to want to go horseback riding in alaska it's very (laughs) different and it needs to be treated as such second you need to understand who you are going to be I, I find that a lot of the problem with publishing and content production is that people don't set boundaries around themselves. So you need to essentially, if you had a child and they wanted to play in the backyard, you're going to want to fence the backyard. It keeps them safe. It gives them boundaries. They're still able to have tons of fun, but it gives them boundaries. Your content needs to do the exact same. So what are you going to post about? What are you not going to post about? What kind of words would you never use? What Are you sarcastic or not sarcastic? And create content pillars. That's what I really like about Twitter is I find that the people that do better on Twitter, they've determined and they've discovered, okay, this is who I am on here. This is what I like to talk about. These are the kind of conversations I like to engage in. And it creates an expectation with your followers. I know what I'm going to get when I get here. No one wants to be surprised when they're following somebody. I need to have an understanding, even on TikTok where everything is like serendipitous, each account has the same, like has their vibe. Like I know if I go to this account, this is the kind of niche, it's gonna make me laugh or cry or it's gonna have Baby Yoda or it's gonna have like a, a, a thing from this show. Like, but I have expectations. On social, you are setting up expectations whether you realize it or not. So being very clear, Who are you going to be for your audience? What can they expect from you? What kind of content? And I find that between figuring out where you want to live on social based off of where your audience lives on social and determining what you're going to talk about, that narrows down a lot of the focus and will get rid of a lot of the pain points because you're not trying to be everything to everyone. You're trying to be what those people need specifically and you're finding them where they already are. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad. I'm, uh, I wanted to take notes, but it will look odd if you sit and <laughs> sit and write. <laughs> I'll be watching this video later because this, these are good points coming out from you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you guys uh, who are watching, if you guys check out Christina's account on Twitter, you can exactly see these points getting uh, implemented over there. Mm-hmm. Right. So I have an audience question here, so which mm-hmm. I can maybe we can take it later. Uh, all right. So moving on, what are the uh, favorite subjects which you are passionate about is audience intelligence, mm-hmm. right? So what does what does that term mean? Even some of the people will not be even aware of what is audience intelligence. So what does that what does the term encompasses? What what does it mean? Audience intelligence is when you are when you are specifically learning and diving into what makes your audience tick? Where do they live? What blogs are they reading? What social accounts are they following? What keywords are they using? What content are they talking about and engaging with? 
but you're basically deep diving and trying to figure out everything that makes them tick. Imagine if you were getting to know someone on a first date and you're asking them all these questions because you want to get to know them. It's because you need to understand them and try to foster that relationship. It's the same thing with your audience. If you don't understand what's important to them, where they're getting their information, it, it creates a big problem. Spark Toro and audience are both two tools that do this really well. Um, yep. where you're able, you're able to break down and learn more. Where are they located? Because someone, uh, someone's experience with your content might be very different if they're in Europe versus the USA right now, or in India versus versus um, Europe right now. There's right. there's a lot of things that people don't understand. They don't factor in as a variable into that experience. And right. so it's very interesting to me that you have these situations where we're publishing to publish. And, but you just don't factor in what that audience experience is going to be like. And you, you can't really do that until you take that time to understand who actually likes my stuff, who's engaging with me, who's talking to me. It makes a big difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because uh, Rand Fishkin was on this show a couple of episodes ago. So he, I love, I love him so much. Oh, I love yeah. him. I love, I love, I love SparkToro as well. It's, it's the one platform which I have, seen real actionable audience intelligence mm-hmm. um, yeah. i've used multiple platforms all right talking about platforms you know so mm-hmm. i want to talk about connect the point of audience intelligence to smbs mm-hmm. so do you think smbs need to invest their time and energy in audience intelligence and if 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 yes what are the some of the tactics and areas they should focus on because uh, sometimes audience intelligence comes with these expensive platforms which mm-hmm. smbs may not be able to offer so which are if, if they should focus on audience, audience intelligence, what are the key tactics or areas they should focus on? What I would do is I would use SparkToro. There's a paid version, but there's also a free version where you can get up to like 10 searches a month. What I would do is I would make a list of who are the people that you want to you want to think about and, and look at and what you want to learn more about. What I would do is make a list of accounts that those people could follow, keywords that those people could follow. And then you're going to do those lists in SparkToro. Additionally, you're going to do some social listening. You're going to look at TalkWalker Alerts, which is, uh, uh, once again, they have paid version. They have free version. The free the TalkWalker Alerts is completely free. It works very similar to Google Alerts. And I would, okay. also set up, I would also set up Google Alerts, too. The problem that I see most people do when they're doing social listening is they're looking for specific hashtags and brand mentions, but they're not looking for the keywords alone. And so... Right. I'm going to use a hashtag and an at or a mention when I specifically want someone to see what I'm talking about. But what if I'm blowing off steam and I'm so angry or I'm so frustrated or I don't care and I don't use a hashtag and I don't use a mention, you're not going to see my content. And it could be something that could be incredibly important to your brand that you haven't noticed. Or I could be completely like blasting your brand and you not even know because I didn't mention you with an at. So go and talk Walker alerts create those lists, make sure that you're using the name of your company with and without an at, that you're using hashtags, but that you're also using the keywords by themselves. What kind of conversations are people having based on your product or service? What kind of words would they be able to use? And then depending on how busy you are, you can have those alerts sent to you daily, weekly, monthly, but being able to go in there and be like, okay, cool. I'm going to set aside an hour and I'm going to look and see what these conversations are talking about. Are there trends? Am I seeing patterns? Is, do I need to, is this something that's really bad that I need to actually reach out about? If so, what does that look like? Or is someone like loving on your brand so hard that you need to like them and be like, hey, love to give you a gift card or would love to give you some swag. Um, thank you so much for loving the brand. Just taking those moments to, to find that information. And then I, I talk about watering the flowers, but also putting out the fires. That same water, everyone wants to put out the fire, but no one's watering those flowers. You're you're so ready to engage with the negative side of social that you forget that there's people loving on your brand and you're ignoring them. Imagine how you feel when you tell someone you love them, but they don't say anything back. That's what's happening with a lot of customers and brands right now. Taking a couple minutes just to like and acknowledge. I mean, like I know that there are brands and there are humans behind those brands and there are social teams that are just like the social teams I've worked with that are running these. But when someone that's verified or someone that's a brand account likes my content, I get giddy. Like I even, I know how the butter, like I know how the sausage is made as they say, but it still makes me happy. It still makes me very excited. And so imagine for the people who don't know what that looks like and they, you made their whole day and it took seconds. 
Right, right, absolutely. So it's 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 actually having these kind of conversation with SMB owners is tough. You know, it's, it's sometimes they have a major pushback about when you talk about audience itself, you know, understanding yeah. your audience, they, they don't want to spend that time doing it. So these are good valid points for them to observe. Right. So since you already touched upon, I want to I want to talk a little bit about it. You know, social listening is also a big part of uh, audience intelligence and things like that. So should SMBs, uh, again, worry about them or any use cases you would like to put forward for SMBs when it comes to social listening? Social listening, especially for 2020, is crucial. Um, I, I think I could argue that social listening before this year was paramount, but this year just really put the nail on the head for the specific reasons that a lot of social teams, small and large, are having to read the room, but they're having to read the room on like an hourly basis because you're having breaking news, you're having you're having world leaders tweet things, and then automatically your brand gets somehow mentioned in the conversation, and then right. all hell breaks loose. So social listening is crucial because you need to be able to understand what's working and what's not working and on a global scale, not just for your specific business. So like, I'll give you an example. So imagine if you ran a restaurant and you are opening up, you have like a new menu that you can't wait to share and things are great. You release it an hour after, and I'm saying, I'm speaking from Virginia. Um, let's say that the governor outlaws indoor restaurants and says like no more indoor dining, which he, which I'm not saying he did, but I'm just saying, imagine that your governor or your leader that has the ability to do so says, all right, no more indoor dining, no more outdoor dining. Restaurants have to shut down. And an hour later, you post your new menu for your restaurant. Wow. What does, what does that look like? Because from, from a consumer perspective, I'm like, that's awesome. I can do nothing about that. And you clearly don't watch the news. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, there's, it creates this really big divide. And so, and we've also had to be a lot more socially conscious this year because of all that too, because you have a lot of movements, you have, you have a lot of people making a stand. And so if you're creating content, you could have content that would be great yesterday, but it's completely tone deaf tomorrow. And so social listening, not just for yourself, but just being aware of what's happening in the news and what's happening globally I know it's hard because a lot of it's negative. There's not been a lot of good this year, but I live like I swear by my Google alerts for like regular news. It's gotten me. It's it's prevented me from tweeting things that, like I said, would have been great and clever yesterday. Tomorrow, they're like, Christina, please delete that. What are you talking about? <laughs> you need to know. And things have been moving. I've been in such flux this year um, with even before the vaccines. There's been so many things that you need to be aware of that a lot of people take for granted. A lot of people are finally realizing that the way like the image you use or the copy that you use could offend someone that you never knew. So like, for instance, let's say that you share a picture from your store and you use a picture that you made like two, three years ago thinking, this is a good picture. It'll be fine. But those people aren't wearing masks because why would they? So now right. you're now you're publicizing your store with an image of people without 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 masks on. Your viewers are not going to think, "Oh, this is old copy and old an old image from a few years ago." They're going to think, "Oh my God, you're not following regulations." Right, right. Things that you would not think. So, social listening is absolutely crucial now, not only for you but for like world events. Understanding where people where people's opinions are and also where your audience is thinking too, it will prevent a lot of PR disasters. And we've seen a lot of PR disasters because of that because they're not reading the room. Right, got it, got it. That's I think I have seen one of those examples happen in real time on Twitter. People taking the image, old image, uh, to be the current image and then blasting yeah. the brand. All yeah. right. <laughs> Let's uh, talk about communications, right? So communications okay. is, is a big part of digital strategy. So what are some of the key things brands and businesses need to keep in mind while using digital platforms for communication during times like these? You need to keep in mind that a lot of us are online more than now, now than ever because it has become a communication piece, but it's also become a recreational piece for us. So... Yeah. Before 2020, it was like, what are the, like, I really don't like, like, what are the perfect times to post stuff? And they always have, like, very specific times. I've never liked those because it really depends on your audience. 
like it's easy to say like, yeah, you post at eight o'clock at night when everyone's getting ready and deciding what they're going to watch and that that's great. But what if your audience are people who work third shift? Right. That's not for them. So right. it always has to be audience specific. You also, you need to be keenly aware of how you're communicating, but also understand that we are in a position where our needs are very different. The needs, the needs of the consumer has shifted greatly this year. Convenience is a bigger, is a bigger um, pain point than price has been. Um, additionally, you're having uh, escapism is huge this year. I mean, there's a reason there's a reason why Disney has has shared all the stuff that they're posting, all the new content that they're, they're going to make and share on Disney Plus, because it's all escapism. Like, I'm going to get Marvel movies and more Star Wars. Like, give all of it to me. Like, I want all of it because it's sure. better than it's better than like Apocalypse 2020. So you have escapism. Then you also have doom scrolling. You have more and more people that are just everything in their feed is negative. And I love the small businesses who are taking the time to be that like that point of light. So they're entertaining or they're funny or they're sharing good news. Like um, earlier in the year, there was like the good news show where you had um, you had like people sharing like all this positive content and energy. Um, and it wound up being really great and it wound up going viral. And a lot of people were watching it because it's like the rest of the world is only showing me what's the worst of us. I need to see what's the best of us. So if you're a small business and you're working with nonprofits, if you're donating, if you're collecting toys before the holidays, share that because we need positive content in our feed. Like I, every now and you know this every now and then I'm, I'm finding something really cute. I'm like blessing your feed with this. Cause it's like, I, I need to break your feed of like people are dying and, and like there's war and there's this. And it's like, here's the sea otter that winks at you. It, it doesn't have to like win a Pulitzer. It just has to like, let you give a sigh of relief. And it's like, here's another post that isn't going to try to break me and make me cry today. And that's, it's powerful. Yep. Yep. Uh, every time you post something, some TikTok accounts content, I, I keep thinking, where does she go and find this? <laughs> I, always, I, yeah. I always think that, you know, yeah. there are a couple, very few people, you know, you, uh, there are a couple of more friends of mine who find content from the farthest place on the social media network. And it is so funny or so interesting. You keep watching it. You know? yeah. So that's, that's absolutely a valid point which you mentioned right now. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, my next question, you know, uh, again, coming back to SMBs, you know, SMBs, uh, they can leverage all these digital channels for various goals, be it lead generation, customer service, community building, or even audience research. So how do you, how, what, what is your advice for them? How can they leverage these platforms for all these goals? I'm a big fan of HubSpot and the flywheel and that how it all connects. It's not about the funnel. It's about the flywheel. I'm a firm believer that if you're taking care of and you're delighting your current customers and then you're empowering them to be brand ambassadors for you so that you can then you have positive word of mouth that's going to further generate future leads and future sales. Huge fan of that. So what I like to use social, if in doubt, if you're unsure of how to do this, um, on social, celebrating the fans is never a bad idea. Making them feel wanted, making them feel appreciated, highlight reviews, highlight testimonials, highlight um, even just resharing UGC is fantastic as well, especially if you don't aren't in the capacity to have like an in-house creative team. Reaching out to your current customers, they can be just such a strategic advantage. And then you put that love on social and you essentially are amplifying all this love for your business. And they tend to believe it more because it's not coming from you. If you have customers saying how great you are, that hits very differently than if you're saying how great you are. Like, of course you're saying how great you are. You're going to tell me all your flaws and how you're going to screw me over on price and how support's not going to help me like two weeks after I sign up. You're not going to tell me that. But if your customers are telling me positive stuff, I'm more likely to believe it and trust you. Absolutely. So yeah, that's right. Uh, so it's it's again a long term game. Uh, all these things come. Mo- most of the good things come as a side effect of doing a lot of good things in yeah. portion. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So now, uh, you know, my last question from the digital strategy side, then mm-hmm. I would love to get to know you better, your work mm-hmm. better. So last question is, you know, what are some of the tools you recommend for SMBs? Again, mm-hmm. uh, which should be economical uh, towards building their digital strategy. Some of the tools which you recommend. I would recommend Canva for creation. I would recommend, um, let me see, Talkwalker Alerts. I would recommend HubSpot Academy for learning about social. 
I would recommend HubSpot CRM. The HubSpot CRM is completely free. Um, I love the HubSpot CRM. Um, I would recommend, um, let me see, Google, all Google products. I live in Google products. Um, Google Docs, I, I live in them like every day of my life. Um, you have everything you need there so you don't have to worry about Microsoft products. Um, also, um, Grammarly, there's a free version and a paid version. Grammarly is huge. Grammarly has like saved me so many times. Um, I would also look at Medium if you're worried. If you want to just have a blog but you don't want to pay for a website, look at Medium. It's a really great way to get your voice out there to be able to get um, your thoughts out there without having to like build a whole website. So if you if you need a website, you need a website. Like I'm not going to talk you out of it. But right. if you are in a position where you want to um, where like a blog is really the only thing you want, Medium's a great choice. Um, and it's it's absolutely fantastic. Um, I would also look at um, StoryMaker if you want to be able to create stories for Instagram. I would also look at um, Zoom. Zoom's a great opportunity, especially if you want to do like in-person in or like per person interviews, um, especially if you wanted to do like an AMA um, talking about um, your product or your service or you wanted to do an interview with one of your one of your um, customers to learn more about what they're doing. Um, I would also look at um, Messenger and um, how you're utilizing that. Facebook's really pushing Messenger, especially across Facebook and Instagram. How can you do that? Um, and then the freest advice I can give you is think like the platform. Think like the stakeholders. Because that will that will inform you more about what they're doing now and why they're doing it and where what direction they want to go um, toward better than anything. Like I, I I like to use this for Facebook. Um, when I was a marketing director at SBDC, I was calling all these like marketing and and like all the advertising moves they were making because it's what I would do. If I ran Facebook, it's an ad company. Here's what I would do, and like here is the here's the mindset we either copy or acquire. Everything needs to be pushed towards advertising and we need to make sure that it's what that we're adding advertising to the most used features first so that the ads will get the most lift and most views, which will warrant the pay. Same thing. If you think the way that that, that platform would think, then you're going to be able to, I don't want to say game the system, but you're going to be able to perform better because it's, it's aligned with what they're doing. So like, for instance, anytime there's a new feature that's used, that's created See if there's an opportunity that you can use it. If it doesn't make sense for you, it doesn't make sense for you. But if right. you can use it, use it and be an early adopter because you're going to see significant lift that you wouldn't get if you were doing it like a month. So like the first few people who did fleets, the first few people who did reels, they're going to see more lift because Twitter and Facebook are emphasizing their, they want those people, that content to be seen because they want that feature to be successful. So you're going to, so the algorithm is going to work in your favor versus not now. For principle, I haven't done anything on reels and I haven't done anything on fleets out of <laughs> out of like social protest. But if you want to game the system, if you want to use the algorithm in your favor, really look to the features that they are they are pushing forward because they are gonna they're gonna send people to you. They're gonna want your content to be seen because if no one creates content there, the feature fails and then and then they look like a failure. Absolutely. So I think th this question is something which we can do a whole show on because there are a lot of tools. It's uh, also, I keep saying to people that it's never about the tools. It's mm -hmm. about your strategy and what you want to do and yeah. who you want to serve. Simple as that. Yeah. And also on, on the tools part, I've got addicted to Grammarly and I don't think I can ever write without it. Uh, oh, Grammarly. Grammarly is great. <laughs> Grammarly has saved me so many times. I'm just like, oh, I don't know how I'm literate. Like, <laughs> thank you, Grammarly. <laughs> Yeah, that's where we are all headed very soon. Right. So now uh, let's, uh, I would love to get to know Christina a little bit more better. So first thing, let's start with your work. You yes. are working with Visit. I don't know whether I'm saying it correctly. You are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, <coughs> sorry. Uh, what do you do there and what kind of work uh, is on your plate right now? I am a senior insight strategist at Visit. We do visual intelligence, which is we have... We create AI audience lenses based on the specific target audience or persona and their behaviors, their buying habits, things like that. We create those audiences 
and then create um, then create a project with all of these images, whether it be owned or competitors. And then we're able to see and predict how they perform for this audience. So if you were choosing between like two or three pictures for website or for like something to put on Walmart or Amazon um, as like your hero image, we are able to tell you based on this specific audience, these are the images that are going to perform best. We wow. also have attention mapping. So we're able to also showcase like this, this image, this is how this image performs. And this is where the audience is going to look first. Is it, do they look at the copy? Do they look at the shadow? Do they look at like this knob? Do they look at the button? But we're able to show you that. And so you're not only able to essentially A-B test before it goes into the wild, before you flight it, but you're also able to look for patterns. So my job is I go through all the data and I look and see like, okay, these are the numbers, but what do they tell us? So I get to be that number storyteller, that math teacher, English major. <laughs> where, I go in, where I go in and I say, okay, here's what the numbers are. What do they tell us? What's the story? Um, and what does this mean for the brand? Does this mean that you need to have a white background? Does it mean that you should have an orange background? Does it mean that you should tilt your product to the left or to the right? Does it mean that you should have lifestyle versus product image? Does it, does it mean that you like this color variation is stronger than that variation or women prefer that image, but men prefer this image. So we're able to break those down um, based off of age demos, based off of gender demos. And that way you can really look and you know what's going to work so that and what's going to put your best foot forward. So that that's the brands that we're working with now is um, we've done work with Masterlock. We've done that work with Cliff Bar. Um, we've done work with Harley, just basically breaking down what does it look like with these images? How can we make them better? And then recommendations. A lot of my insights is prescriptive. So it's, here's everything, here are the takeaways, here are the insights, this is what works. Now, if for future work, or if you wanna improve these images, here are my recommendations that you can use. So instead of the graphic design team getting tons of notes, cause they're like, mm, I'm not sure if I like that. What you're getting is you're getting very concise, specific data driven insights and prescriptive notes into this is great, but that needs to be lighter or that needs to be bigger or that needs to be tilted or that needs to have someone in it. Um, being able to have more precise prescriptive notes, it just saves so much more time. There's more efficiency. And it also is a huge it's a huge help for the social media person and the creators because how many times have we put something and we've had to fight for something based on gut? We've right. had to go to our boss and be like, this is gonna work. And they're like, how do you know that? I'm like, I just know. <laughs> Instead of being like, I know, and here's visit score to back up what I'm saying. It's, it's Good. as you know this, sometimes like the data is the only weapon we have to defend ourselves. And Absolutely. so have to go in there and, and really kind of, really kind of do that work. So it's, it's really exciting work. Absolutely. It's, it sounded like some cutting edge work happening there. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't understand some of it, but. It. <laughs> well, if you go to, if you go to visit vizit.com, you can see a little bit more about what we do. Absolutely. I'll check it out today. Uh, that's fantastic. Uh, it's kind of, uh, you're failure proofing some yeah. of the imagery, uh, which, mm -hmm. which is a tough job. Everybody thinks that uh, create use, usage of images in every collateral is much simpler. It's not. It's, it's not. really not. It's really not. And you can take like, and you know this, and any photographer knows this too. Like you can take hundreds of pictures and then have to narrow it down into like the lighting. And then even then you pick the best picture and then even you have to edit it on top of that. How do we right. fix it? How do we clean it up? How do we like make, make the, the background a little bit blurry than the foreground? Like all of these little things, there's just so many nuances. So what this does is you're able to get a mixture of AB testing and market research all in that same kind of vein. And so you're not having to spend that money on market research that could take months. You're not having to do that A-B testing that you're paying money for. You're able to understand what the audience likes and know what's going to work best for them before you even flight it. So now you're using your time more efficiently. You're using your money more efficiently. It's a, it's a huge game changer for brands. Absolutely. absolutely. My, my designer, I drive him crazy. So he will be happy to see this. Yeah. <laughs> No. All right. So uh, next thing I want to talk about is you're a, you're a fantastic writer. You, oh, thank you. You write some real thought leadership articles. I have read many of them. And you're also a speaker on topics related to marketing. So I would I, I, I want to hear which, which are the major publications you write for mm -hmm. and some of the major events where you have already spoken. 
Yeah. Um, so for writing, I do a lot of my writing in Medium. And then I've done a couple like guest blogs. I had one of my Medium pieces picked up and republished by the next web. It was about um, digital marketers needing to unplug. And that was such a huge like bucket list moment for me. I was like completely shocked. Um, I also had a piece on social listening during um, COVID that was picked up and republished by Meltwater, specifically their South African um, blog version. And then I just recently wrote a review on the KFC, um, the KFC piece, uh, the mini movie recipe for seduction for ad week, which was also a, a top bucket list thing. Um, and, th and then I've done, I've done work with publications, um, with, um, G2. I have a piece about, um, audience research. I have done pieces for better marketing startup. Um, and those are publications for medium. I've also have a blog on the HubSpot user blog, which is about um, a little bit about social listening and how you can utilize that. Um, for talking engagements, I've done a lot of local events with um, the Virginia SBDC. I still help them whenever I have time. Um, really good people. If you um, if you're in the United States, they um, the SBDC is a subset of the SBA. So they assist small business owners. That is literally like their mission, their charge. So if you if you're in the U.S. and you have any questions about small business, um, it, you don't have to pay. It's completely free for the for the um, for the small business owners. Um, but you're able to get some really quality advice from some of the most some of the most brilliant people I've ever worked with, but also some of the kindest and just genuinely love, like if you, if someone works with SBDC, they truly love small business. So I would look up SBDC and see if there's one in your area that you can contact and call. Sometimes they do like online webinars and things all, most are free. Some classes are paid, but it's usually like $20 tops. Um, just a really great resource. In addition to that, I've spoken at, um, I spoke at Inbounds 19. I spoke at um, Adapted Media Summit. Um, I've spoken, I had two I had two conferences for in Vegas this year that got canceled that were that was painful oh. for me. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, I was so close. Um, and then I've done um, I've done a lot of stuff in Virginia specifically with um, I did one at an agile summit um, in, in D.C. a couple of years ago, um, but basically just constantly um, like trying to share and help how I can. I did Hollywood branded, had a virtual summit this year that I that I did a, a piece on. Um, but just a little bit of everything, small, small events, large events, everything in between, wherever I think I can actually like make impact. I don't want to speak to speak. Um, it needs to be something that I think will, I think that like what I have to say will help those in attendance. Absolutely, absolutely. It's fantastic to see because when I, it's 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 actually a proud thing for all of us, right? When I saw an uh, Adweek article I shared with some of my friends, it said that I know this person. No, nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do. I do all kinds of funny things, you know. So uh, that was that is a fantastic thing. All right. Uh, another big thing which you have done is you have featured in a lot of HubSpot Academy courses, mm -hmm. and I am a big fan of HubSpot. I learned inbound marketing from there. I am still certified. So Yay. can you talk a, can, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I was um, when I was going up for inbound nineteen to speak, I was asked if I wanted to participate in um, some of the some of the um, HubSpot Academy courses, which obviously is like a huge honor to me because I, I honestly believe I would not be a marketer without HubSpot Academy. So to be able to kind of give back to what gave me my life is, is a huge honor to me. Um, so I was in the, I'm in the social media, um, the social media certification. And then there's also a separate class on social listening and I'm in both of those. Um, I definitely recommend both. All of HubSpot Academy's courses are free. Um, right. But I love that they, I love that they really kind of break down the major things that you need to understand and the why. And so you're not, you're not sitting through like hundreds of hours of content it really gets to the heart of what you need to know, whether that's tactically, whether that's empathetically, but like they, they very much get down to what do you need to know? And a lot of those courses can be done in like a day, like six hours, take the test yeah, and you're yeah. done. So you're getting a lot of, you're getting a lot of information, a lot of value for not a lot of time and for no money at all. And they're also recognized. I mean, a lot of the HubSpot Academy courses are recognized worldwide as a as a major leader in marketing, and that's something I also think is going to come up in the future. Is at some point we're going to have to figure out like what does it mean to be a marketer because there's a lot of people 
who say, and you know this, there's a lot of big talkers. And then you look at the work and be like, but you don't do marketing. Yeah. But, yeah. but you've never yeah. done anything, but you have a smartphone. Um, it's and but also it doesn't also have to come with an education either. I some of the best marketers I have have a few certifications and but never don't have a marketing degree. Some of the best marketers I know don't have a marketing degree. Um, there's there's so many opportunities online and so many online resources. I do have a marketer's toolkit that I can send you. Um, that's a medium article and it breaks down literally like conferences to go to, people to follow, blogs to read, podcasts to listen to, books to read, um, like online courses to take, um, free and paid. Um, but basically there's, there's the, the internet's a huge place. There's tons of great resources, but it can be really hard to find the ones that are worth your time and energy. And so, um, HubSpot is definitely one of those. I would, it's usually my go-to if anyone wants to talk, anyone wants to get started in marketing, I like nine times out of 10, I say like, you need to do HubSpot Academy and you need to look at Google. Like I immediately send them there. Right, right. Because uh, whenever I feel low or I get overwhelmed by work, I go and repeat my inbound certification course. Yeah. Just for the sake of it. I, it's, nowadays, I don't even sit for the course. I just go to the questionnaire and I start answering, you know? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> but you know, if and, and also like the thing about inbound that I really love is that it makes sense to me because it's so relational instead of transactional. And so yeah. everything, like I, if you haven't done a HubSpot Academy course, I would take inbound first because it really is the heartbeat of every other course of like everything else they're going to teach you. But it just made so much sense. Like it felt like common sense to me. And that's when I was like, okay, this is good. I need to build off of this. Right, right. And I have this always on my Yay! table. Yay! Awesome. <laughs> so I just I awesome. keep referring to that. Yeah. So, <laughs> Uh, I have one last question for yes. you. But mm -hmm. Before that, I have an audience question from my MBA friend, Sujan. He's done MBA. Uh, we were MBA classmates. So he's asking, can we say that all these social media platforms are trying to be jack of all, master of none? Yes. They are basically copying each other. Is that correct? Yes, they really are. And I think it also comes from... I think it also comes from the idea that everyone wants to be like the leader. And so instead of trying to find their own individual strategic advantage, they're trying to figure out like what trend is working instead of that. So for instance, Twitter for me, and I know you, you feel the same way. Twitter for me has done more for my personal network and my career than LinkedIn ever could. And yet, link, and yet LinkedIn, I go to LinkedIn and it's, it's a lot more salesy. And there's a lot more of like the secret sauce of like how you write a post or it's a humble brag post about like, here's the latest thing that I was in. Um, but that's really it. And then I, LinkedIn did commercials. I want to say it was like earlier this year or later last year. And they were all focused around getting a job. And I was like, LinkedIn, you don't know what you are. I think that I think that all of these platforms are trying to be a jack of all trade and a master of none because I think they've lost their identity. I think they've forgotten who they are. And if they can't figure out who they are, then they need to look at the user culture. It always goes back to the user culture. If you don't know who you are, then who are you to your audience? Who are you to your users? And then how can you build off of that in a positive way? Twitter is because Twitter is more relational and because we're starting these conversations. If someone, if someone goes into my DMs and Twitter and asks me for a favor versus that same person doing it on LinkedIn, I'm going to trust that person more on Twitter. The Twitter is my family. The Twitter are my friends. LinkedIn are like vendors, salespeople. <laughs> like my, my reaction to them and how I identify them in my life is very different. And it's also distant. It's also significantly distant versus where I stand for people in my Twitter and my, in my Twitter family. So Absolutely. I think that there has to be a lot of conversations in LinkedIn on how that user culture can be shifted and how LinkedIn can play a role in what does networking what does networking look like versus what it should look like. Because I think Twitter has got networking right. And I think like with that marketing Twitter tweet, I reshared everything that I could, but then those conversations are being held without me. Those connections and those relationships exist without me, as they should. But there's people there's people who are gonna get jobs from that. There's people who are gonna find friends from that. There's people who are gonna get married um, from someone that they met in that feed. Because it was relational. It wasn't, it wasn't tell me what you're going to sell me. It was tell me who you are, introduce me, Inter like let us know more about you. And because of that, more people jumped in, more people started talking. And now you're having 
Like I have all the conversations I've had, all the podcasts I've been on, all the all the Zoom calls I've been on. They're my with my Twitter people. They're not with my LinkedIn people. And that is something that LinkedIn needs to worry about. Absolutely, LinkedIn. I think uh, I recently had a weird conversation with a fr- uh, prospect of mine. Uh, he, they were, they were disappointed that I was not pitching a product to them. <laughs> he was asking me to pitch the product. You know, I was like, everybody expects that. I guess a sales pitch at any moment on LinkedIn. Yeah. All right. So that is that is perfectly uh, perfect answer about social media channels. My last and final question, which I ask every guest on my show, is how has COVID nineteen impacted Christina, the work and the personal side of life? COVID has made me realize what's important to me. It's made me realize what I took for granted. It's made me realize that it's made me 100% understand that work is my medicine and my poison. I'm a workaholic by nature. If I'm stressed, I jump into my work. If I'm worried, I jump into my work. If I, if I have any negative emotions, uh, it's my distraction. It's my solace. It gets me through things. Um, But because of that, I also burned out really badly this year. Like I had a huge burnout left agency life, moved on to a startup that um, that is doing amazing work. But it's because it got to the point where I realized that I had to save myself, that no one was like, there is no white knight on a white horse that's going to save you from burnout. Like you got to pull yourself out. Like you you just right. have to, for better or for worse. Um, and then the other thing is it made me realize what I was, what I was wanting in my life, especially on social. So in my agency, I, in our like chats and meetings, I was that person that was always like, here's a conference we should go to. Here's some news. Here's some updates. Here's things that you should, we should know as a team. And when I left the agency that there was that vacuum, there was that hole for me because I loved share. That's that teacher that never leaves me was still there. And so I put that energy towards Twitter and I was like, this is my new team. These are the people I want to lift up. These are the people I want to make sure are informed. These are the people I want to make sure that they, they're having a good day. They're doing their best work. And what happened was I started amplifying others. I started sharing other people's messages. I started looking for the voices that weren't being amplified, that had really quite great stuff to say, but like the right people hadn't shared them yet, which I find is a lot of things on social is it's not that the content is necessarily good or bad. It's that it just ha- wasn't seen by the person who could celebrate it enough for it to be seen by enough people. And so I've really tried to be that person for people this year where you're doing good work. You just, it's, it's not that you weren't, you were a nobody. It's just like no one knew where to find you. So let me shine this like massive light on you. And then all of a sudden you blow up because you have good stuff to say, you have quality content. And if I get to be a part of that push, awesome. I'm proud to be a part of that push, but that, that was a big push for me. That was it. I'm an INFJ by nature, which is the advocate. And that like, that is the overall theme of my year is like, how can I advocate for others um, as well as myself? Like, how can I, how can I save myself? But also this community, 2020 was a mess, but the marketing Twitter community, even before that tweet is the best thing for me that came out of it because we saved each other. There's so many times where people had to vent or were upset, felt alone in how stressed they were and didn't know how to, didn't know how or when or how to even share those feelings but now they have people that they can talk to. And if they don't feel comfortable saying it openly on Twitter, I've had so many people come into my DMs to just be like, I've been crying all day. Thank you. I needed someone to say what I wasn't comfortable saying. I was like, awesome. If that, if that did that for you, that I'm, I'm glad that that gave you solace. And I think that, I think that especially with the marketing Twitter community, it's proven that social can be used for good. It's been used for bad all year long. We're finally seeing it start to be used for good. And it's a really powerful thing. Absolutely. I'm so happy to see these kind of things being done by you. Uh, you, mm-hmm. are, you, you are really, you know, one of those uh, empathetic persons I have seen uh, lifting people up and giving them a positive shout out. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, Thanks for having me. I loved every second of it. And uh, take care and stay safe and happy holidays. Thanks. Happy holidays. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, so that was Christina Garnett, guys. Such a fantastic person. Uh, she's a good friend of mine via Twitter. She has created a hashtag trending called Marketing Twitter, and that has gone viral. So uh, I hope you have taken notes. It's so many actionable insights on digital strategies uh, for these tough times like this. Forget about tough times. 
small and medium businesses need to focus on digital side and digital platforms, especially for every business goal of yours, right? So that's the whole purpose of the show, bringing on people who can give you something to be inspired about and take action. Uh, next week is Christmas, so we are taking off. Most probably, I'll be back in week after that or else see you all in 2021. I want all of you to take care. Have a good Christmas and a new year and have lots of fun. Stay while staying safe. Thank you for listening to the Thrifty Marketer Podcast. For more exciting episodes like these, please follow the Thrifty Marketer Podcast today. Now available on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. See you next episode.